Well, I would like to say uh, welcome to those of you who are here tonight. How many of you guys were at man camp? I'm pretty impressed with guys who spend a whole weekend listening to messages and hanging out at man camp, and then you come to church. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> That's nice. Um, I was not at man camp because I was here preaching and um, that sort of thing. So, but I like man camp. I went two years ago. It was great. It was good, good, uh, good time, good fun. So, uh, we are continuing our study in Mark's gospel. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter eight, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time when Stuart was here um, a couple weeks ago. So, Mark chapter eight. And the story of a healing, another healing in the book of Mark. We've seen a number of these, haven't we? And we're going to look at this one um, probably from a little bit of a different perspective because Mark, I think, is really building towards something and we'll see how he is arranging this and um, what he really has for us underneath this. Um, But before we do that, let's pray. And um, as we are going to be looking at this story of Jesus restoring sight to a blind man, let's just pray for that very thing, that he would open our eyes, that we would see uh, in this passage what he has for us. Father, how we thank you for your word and for the ministry of your spirit who does indeed open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Without your spirit, we would be blind and we would be deaf and we would be hard-hearted. And so we need his ministry to us. Help us, Father, not to be resistant, but to to lay ourselves open before you, even as we have sung this evening, that we present ourselves and just simply say, Lord, here we are. Show us, lead us, guide us to truth. Open our eyes. Bring healing, bring sight, bring light into dark places. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who have uh, been along for our study in Mark may remember from when I preached way back toward the beginning of our series. Uh, If this were one of my classes at MST, I would probably do a very spontaneous quiz right about now, but I'm not going to do that to you. I'm seeing some of my students sitting out there going, oh, please don't do that, because I do things like that. Um, But you may remember from my earlier messages in Mark that there are always three questions that I ask every time I look at a passage in the Gospels. There are always three questions on my mind, whether I'm reading a verse or a paragraph or a chapter or the book as a whole, that are, that are on my mind, and I'm, I'm probing every passage with these three questions. 
And at some points, all three of the questions are very obvious, but at some points as we're reading, one of them is more obvious than the others. One might be more prominent as as we come to a particular passage. The first question that I always ask is this, what is this passage teaching me about Jesus? Because that really is the intention of each of the gospel writers to teach us about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Luke tells us very clearly at the beginning of Acts that his gospel was written so that you might see all the, the beginning of all that Jesus did and all that he taught. Who is this person? What is this person trying to help us to understand, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about who Jesus is and what he did? The second question, anybody remember the second question? I should, the second question is this, and that is, what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom? What is this passage teaching me about Jesus, and what is Jesus teaching me about the kingdom? Because that is the central point of everything that he teaches. The kingdom of God is the focus of his teaching, and whether he is teaching in parables, whether he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is always teaching us about the kingdom. But not only is he teaching about the kingdom, he is demonstrating the kingdom, When we watch the actions of Jesus, when we observe the behavior of Jesus, we are seeing something of the kingdom being demonstrated to us. The parables, the kingdom of heaven is like, they all begin with something about the kingdom. And so we learn about the kingdom, the centrality of the kingdom in in Jesus' ministry, in his teaching, in his actions, what he says and what he doesn't say. Everything about the kingdom. But there's a third question that focuses on the people around Jesus, whether it's his disciples or, or the scribes and Pharisees, the way people are responding to Jesus. And the third question we have to ask is, who is a true disciple? Who is a true follower of Jesus? Who are those people that Jesus is inviting into his kingdom? And who are the people that he says are far away from the kingdom? And how do we live as people of the kingdom? And as Stuart often is saying as, as we're going through this book, he says, how do we walk on earth as we are known in heaven? Well, that is a, that is a definition. That's a description of a true disciple of a person who walks on earth according to their heavenly identity. This is who I am. This is who God says I am, and I am living according to that reality. And as we have discovered along the way, the the answer to that question is often very surprising, isn't it? Frequently, the people that we would expect to be great in God's kingdom are the very people that Jesus rebukes for their lack of belief. And the people that we would think would be far away and the least in the kingdom of God are often the ones that Jesus welcomes with open arms and says, these people are great in my kingdom. He kind of turns things upside down. 
So three questions. What is this passage teaching me about Jesus? What is Jesus teaching about the kingdom? And who is a true disciple? Who are the people who are in the kingdom? When we come to our passage today, I think it's the first of these three questions that is really is really on Mark's mind. I think that is the question that, that he wants us to focus on especially. We can be focused on the blind man. We can, we can be watching him and what, what does he do and so on and how does Jesus treat him. But I think in the context and in this text, we discover that really the emphasis of the passage is on Jesus himself. And in a subtle way, it's on the disciples. And we'll see how that unfolds later on. Mark chapter 8, let's read our passage beginning at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he, said, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. From these five short verses, I want to make three observations that I think provide for us some deep insight into the person and really the identity of, of Jesus. We notice here, first of all, that Jesus' care for this man is personal and it is intimate. Jesus' care for this, this blind man is personal and it is intimate. But let's see how that comes about. Look how the, look how the story begins. They, they come to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. You see, the care for this man begins not with Jesus. It begins with these friends who seek Jesus on, on behalf of their friend. It's not the first time that we have seen this in Mark where, where we find friends and family members bringing other people to Jesus and even begging Jesus, imploring Jesus on their behalf. We, we see it first back in chapter 2. Look back at chapter 2. As Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry, and he's at Capernaum. And Capernaum, Capernaum and Bethsaida aren't far from each other, both at the very north shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. And he's at Capernaum, and he is, he is preaching in this person's home, and there is a huge crowd, and these four friends have a, a, a friend who is paralyzed. He's a paralytic, and they want to get him close to Jesus, but, but they can't get in because of the crowd. So what do they do? They, they cut a hole in the ceiling, and they lower him down. Imagine somebody just cutting a hole right here, and then this 
person is just suddenly right down here on the floor. You can't exactly ignore that, can you? It's right there in front of you. And, and so they, they, they lower him down and Jesus heals him. And they, they implore Jesus, they beg Jesus. They go to great lengths to bring their friend to Jesus. We also see it in, in chapter 5. Turn with me to chapter 5 when, when this man Jairus, who is a leader in the synagogue, comes to Jesus, and you have to understand that that would have been quite a statement because the leaders of the synagogue were the people who were rejecting Jesus and challenging Jesus. And so he actually comes to Jesus. In verse 23, he implores him earnestly. Verse 22, he actually falls down at his feet, which is, which is kind of a public statement of laying himself at Jesus' mercy and He begs him on behalf of his daughter. She is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can be made well and live. And so he he begs Jesus on behalf of his daughter. We see it also in in chapter 7, verse 24, the, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is possessed of a demon. And so she comes to Jesus And she implores him, she begs him, come and and cast this demon out of her. Come and and heal my daughter of this this demon that 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 has overtaken her. And in the same way, these men here in chapter 8 bring their friend who is blind and they, they beg Jesus on his behalf. They begged him to touch him. What does this teach us? It teaches us not only about the intimate compassion of Jesus, but but that same compassion that is in each of these friends and, and family members who bear the burden of these people and they seek Jesus on their behalf. Have you ever had that kind of compassion for another person? That kind of feeling of, you know, the word compassion literally means to feel with another person. To feel their pain, to feel their situation. Not just to look back clinically and say, oh, that must really hurt. No, but to actually feel their pain with them. To enter into their circumstance, they they have compassion and they bear the, the burdens of these people. Have you ever had that kind of compassion for another person? Where you actually pray for another person in tears and in pleading day by day before the throne, God, do something in the life of this person. And I beg you on behalf of this person, You know, sometimes, often, that is the first experience that people have of this intimate, compassionate Father. It's an interesting thing how I have heard stories, testimonies of people who have come to faith, and their first experience of the compassion of Jesus comes through another person, through a mother's love, a father's 
insistent love for a child, another friend who absolutely will not give up and will walk not only the second mile, but the third mile and the fourth mile every step of the journey with somebody. One of my students, one of my doctoral students at MST is completing a research project which I have found fascinating from the very beginning. It's always an interesting thing to see what people choose to study. But he is studying refugees who have come out of really difficult circumstances. Refugees who have had, for one reason or another, to flee from their country and to find asylum, find refuge in another place. And ultimately, each of these people has come to Australia to find a new home here. Their stories are filled with pain and passion, but ultimately those stories, every single one, is filled with redemption as they not only find a new home in this place, but every single one of them has found new life in Jesus in that process. Interestingly enough, one of the common themes in every single one of their stories is recounting their experience of God's love for them expressed very practically through God's people. How did I know God loved me? Because these people, God's people, loved me in very practical ways. Listen to the the words of this one man. He says, my Christian friend was serving me. He said to me, you belong in this country. You are not a refugee. You are not a stranger. Do not worry. You belong in this country and we are beside you. It is true that God is always with us and he provides and that I am not worried about anything But these Christian friends were sent to me by God. When I am alone, maybe God doesn't talk to me directly. But he sends these people in the flesh and in the body. My friend comes to me and he says, Do not worry about anything. I am here with you. What do you need? Food? A place to live? A Mikey card? doesn't get much more practical than that, I think. When I am thinking about all these things, it is God himself. God comes through this person to take care of me. This, brothers and sisters, is the ministry of intercession. Coming alongside a person in need and extending the touch of Jesus in, in very practical and very, very personal ways. But then notice how Jesus treats this man. Notice how he cares for him. Verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand And he led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Do you notice in the verse how many references, and really all through this passages, how many references to personal touch? You know, at this particular time, and in so many 
cultures even today to touch a sick person, to touch a person with any kind of a malady is really frowned upon. This particular culture, when you touch a person who was sick or broken or unclean or something like that, that was really frowned on. Jesus touches him. And not only does he touch him, he, he leads him out of, the, out of the village. He leads him away from the people. He wants to get away with him personally, intimately. And we see that so often with Jesus. He says to his disciples, let's, let's come away to a lonely place, just us, just by ourselves, and get away from these people and spend some time alone. I just want to spend some time with you guys. Let's get away from the ministry, away from the crowd. He does the same thing with this, with this man. He leads him away and says, let's go and be alone where I can really care for you intimately, personally, away from the distractions, away from the noise, away from the people. Let's just, let's just get alone, just us. How often is Jesus like that? Even in a crowd of people, you know, a woman comes up and touches him, and what does he do? He ignores the crowd, he even ignores Jairus, and he says to the woman, daughter, daughter. It's like she is the only person there, and he has this interaction with her. He doesn't look out and see masses of people. He looks out, and he sees individuals. And he calls them by name. He knows every single one of them. Well, that's how Jesus treats this blind man. Come on. Let's just go away from these people, just us. And he lays his hands on him. He puts spit in his eyes. We might say that's a little too personal. And he lays his hands on him and he says, Do you see anything? One thing that we discover as we watch Jesus in each of these healings, you notice this through Mark, he does not follow a single prescribed formula in his, in his healings. It's like each one is unique. Each one is different. Each one is very personal. He, he treats each person as an individual, and he cares for them uniquely according to their need, the same way he cares for you not according to a formula, not according to some other plan, but he treats every single one of us uniquely, personally. Your story is different from mine. And God treats each one of those stories with care, personally, intimately. And that's how he treats this guy. He cares for him intimately, and he cares for him personally. The second thing that we, we learn about Jesus in this, interestingly enough, Jesus' healing of the man involves a process. There's a process here, and that is something that is very different in this account than we have seen so far in Mark. There are times when Jesus heals instantaneously, but here we actually see that he takes this man through a process. Look at verse 23. He asks him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again. 
And he opens his eyes and his sight is restored and he sees everything clearly. We haven't seen this kind of question in Mark before. Do you see anything? First time we've seen something like this. It's unique in this particular healing miracle. The man does indicate that he does see, but, but he doesn't see clearly. It's, it's indiscernible. Those are, I think those are men, but they look like trees. But they're trees, but they could be men. So it's, it's kind of fuzzy. It's indiscernible. I can't, I can't quite tell why. It, 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 it indicates that the healing is incomplete for whatever reason. I don't think anything in the passage would suggest that there is a lack of faith or a lack of power. I think it is simply a part of the lesson, and we'll, we'll look at the lesson that comes out of this, a part of the lesson that Jesus is teaching through this miracle. So Jesus touches him a second time, and, and now the man says, says I, I see everything clearly, I see perfectly. In fact, look at verse 25. There are three phrases that emphasize the completeness of the healing. He opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It is a complete healing. There is nothing left undone. The thing that I notice here, though, is that Jesus, for whatever reason, chooses to use a process rather than to heal him instantly. Where he does that sometimes. He touches somebody and instantly they're made well. But, but he uses a, a sequence of events here. We often speak of the Christian life as a journey, don't we? And how often does Jesus take us through a process of of restoration and wholeness on this journey of faith. And, and what we discover is that journeys have many stages and many experiences as we, as we move along in this process. In our spiritual healing, there is usually a gradual unfolding of understanding a, an under, and discovery. It does not come all at once. But just like in this story, we see that Jesus is in control of our story and he is always leading in this process with complete care and absolute precision. He, he takes us by the hand and he, he walks us through this, this carefully orchestrated story, this, this plan of restoration and redemption. I think there's something in this process that mirrors our spiritual healing, our spiritual growth. I think that is more often the case. It's a process. We move from one stage to another, from strength to strength, from one, one, one phase of glory to another in this process of redemption. I appreciate these words by Robert Mulholland that helps to describe this in a spiritual sense. He says, we live in an instant gratification culture. Just sit near a vending machine and watch what happens when people do not get the product that they have paid for. 
they will begin to complain to anyone handy or even begin to abuse the machine. This silly example illustrates a deeper dimension of our culture. We have generally come to expect immediate returns on our investments of time and resources. If we have a need, we have only to find the right place, the right product or procedure, and invest the right amount of time, energy, and resources, and our need will be met. It is not surprising that we, as members of an instant gratification culture, tend to become impatient with any process of development that requires of us more than a limited involvement of our time and energy. If we do not receive the desired result, almost instantly we become impatient and frustrated. Often our spiritual quest becomes a search for the right technique, the proper method, the perfect program that can immediately deliver the desired results of spiritual maturity and wholeness. Or we try and create the right atmosphere for the right spiritual moment, that perfect setting in which God can touch us into instantaneous wholeness. If only we can find the right trick, the right book, or the right guru, go to the right retreat, go to the right man camp, hear the right sermon, instantly we will be transformed into a new person at a new level of spirituality and wholeness. It isn't that right techniques and right methods and right programs aren't beneficial, nor should we minimize the importance of transforming spiritual moments on our pilgrimage. All these are important, but there is something about the nature of spiritual wholeness and the growth toward that wholeness that is very much a process. Have you found that to be true? I have. As you just, each season brings on a new understanding, a new, a, a, a new way of seeing as you move along this process. And I think, I think that's part of what Jesus is emphasizing in taking this man through step-by-step -step healing of his eyes. Like the healing of this man, our spiritual healing is a process which, with stages of growth and, and gradual understanding. But the third observation I make, and perhaps most importantly, Jesus' healing of this man affirms his identity as the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one that they were looking for. I think it is absolutely critical that we see this brief section right here in the, in the flow of Mark's narrative and really in the flow of Scripture as a whole because I think Mark is setting each item in a very critical context to make an overall point. And so in that regard, we have to look at this and say, what is the greater meaning of this particular healing? I actually think we find our answer in part way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 35. Because I think Mark is drawing on something that these people would have been looking for. They would have been aware of this. 
Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. We find the same thing in Isaiah 29. Go back just a couple chapters. Isaiah 29, we looked at this earlier in Mark as Jesus is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for, for their disbelief and really their, their, their antagonism of him. So in this passage, beginning at verse 13, 14, 15, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, but then we see in verse 18, in that day... The deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. He's describing this day, Isaiah is describing this day in prophetic terms when Messiah would come. And what would be the signs of Messiah coming? Well, the eyes of the blind are opened. The ears of the deaf are healed and, and deaf people now hear and lame people are able to walk. Isaiah describes the coming of the, of the Messiah and he says, these are the signs that would authenticate his ministry, his identity, this is who he is. The healing, especially of the, the deaf and the lame and the blind would be a sign to the people that God himself is among them, that God is at work among them. But I think we also have to see alongside, back in the book of Mark, alongside this physical healing, there is a parallel story going along here, and that is the spiritual healing of the soul. The theme of Jesus healing physical sight parallels the spiritual awakening of, of, of Jesus' followers. I think he heals blind people so that we can have some understanding of what it means to heal a blind soul. I can look at that and see he is able to, to heal physical eyes but well, guess what? He also heals hearts that have been broken. Look at this theme that Mark is developing all through his book, and I think it's so critical to grasp this so that we really get the deeper meaning of this story. Chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus is now teaching in parables, and he says that there are people who would see but they would not perceive. There are people who will hear, but they will not understand. People will, will, will see what I do, but they will not grasp the meaning. They will not perceive what they are seeing. Their eyes will be blind. They will hear my teaching, but, but they will not understand because their ears are closed, their hearts 
are closed to me. Chapter 4, verse 41. The disciples have seen Jesus calm the storm, and they see, but they don't understand. And they say, who is this? That he, that he even has power over the natural elements of the earth. Who is this person? They see, but they do not perceive, just as Jesus said. They don't understand. They don't perceive what is going on here. Chapter 6, verses 51 and 52, again, Jesus walks on the water, and as they're trying to get across the lake in this, this terrible wind and as Jesus calms the wind again, their, their response yet again, verse 51, they are astounded. They see, but they do not perceive because they did not understand about the loaves, this miracle that Jesus had just done. They saw it, but they didn't understand. Their hearts are hardened. They don't get it. Then chapter 8, verses 18 to 21, just before this passage, another miracle in Jesus' teaching about the leaven of the Pharisees, and he asks them, look at this question. Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Don't you remember? I just had a birthday, one of those birthdays that ends in a zero, which means I'm getting really old. And I looked at that and thought, do not see, do not hear, do not remember. Sounds like old age, doesn't it? Not only are you blind and deaf, but now you've got dementia as well. And I thought, oh no, yeah, that's where I'm headed. But honey, it's okay, be kind to me, please. Um, but he asked the disciples straight up, you have seen this again and again and again, and do you still not see? You have heard this again and again, and do you still not hear? And you're so forgetful. Verse 21, do you still not understand? How many times do we have to listen to the gospel again and again and again until we finally just say, okay, I receive that? How many times does God have to show us his power again and again and again and we just kind of turn a blind eye, turn a deaf ear. What does it take to get our attention sometimes? I think I hear a little frustration, to be honest, in Jesus' questions. Do you not see what is right before you? Don't you get it? So you see, I think the gradual opening of this blind man's eyes seems to symbolic, symbolically represent the gradual spiritual awakening in these disciples. 
I think that he is mimicking, he is mirroring what these men are going through. What is the greater message here? I think he really is setting up the next passage, which we'll look at next week. He is really setting something up. And in some ways, this passage ends with a bit of a cliffhanger because it really, in, it really pushes us in to verses 27 through 30. Mark is building to this moment. One more miracle increases the evidence so that when Peter makes that announcement finally, you think, yes, he finally gets it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The one that we have been waiting for, the one we have been looking for, he finally gets it. And I think this gradual opening of these, the, the eyes of this blind man parallels the gradual opening of the hearts of the disciples so that they finally see, they finally perceive they finally hear and they finally understand. They finally get it. It's like the pinnacle moment of, of this part of the, the whole gospel that's been moving in this direction. There are two questions that I think this passage leaves me with on reflection. Two questions for, I, for us, I think, to consider as we reflect on this story. I think the first question is this. To what extent am I really perceiving what God is continually putting before me? To what extent am I open to those demonstrations of his intimate care for me, his power and his glory, or do I just sit here with a hardened heart, daring God to break through? To what extent really am I open to perceiving what God has for me? Are we inviting God into that process of the journey and the discovery are we even open to inviting him into that? So often when, when, when people will come to me and say, how do I grow spiritually? How do I, how, how do I figure out who God is? Questions like that. And I say, well, have you invited him into that process? Okay, God, if you're real, help me to perceive. Help me to hear and understand. Help me in this process of discovery. Are you even open to that? Or is your heart hardened? To what extent am I perceiving, not just seeing, but really perceiving what God is continually putting before me? Or is my heart closed? Is it hardened? Is it resistant to him? The second one, I'm really drawn to these friends who brought this blind man to Jesus. The second question that I think about is this, to what extent am I helping others be open and to perceive the work of God in their lives? Like those friends who brought the blind man to Jesus, am I helping others 
to see? Am I helping others to perceive? Am I, am I begging God on behalf of other people? Am I regularly interceding with passion, with, with tears? There are people that I pray for daily, often in tears, and say, God, I beg you on behalf of this person. That may be the first touch of the love of God that that person will ever experience, that will bring them into saving faith. This is, this is where we help other people to see what God is doing, where, where God is at work. And we intercede for other people, with other people. To, to what extent am I helping others to become open and to perceive the work of God in their lives? Let's pray. I have no idea what the Spirit of God is saying to you right now. But I do know that he is speaking, and I do know that he is present, and I do know that he is at work. So my only question to you is, are you open to that? Or are you resisting him? Jesus speaks personally to every single person. My encouragement is to open and listen. Ask him to help you to perceive, to understand. Heal the eyes of your heart, the ears of your heart, to receive what he has for you. Father, that is our desire, is that you would do that work among us. Open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus in the fullness of his glory and in all that he is. We want to be transformed by his touch and by his power. We want this church to look more and more like the community of Jesus. We want you to have your way among us. Show us the places where we are resistant and help us by the power of your spirit to open
to see. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.